Hey, what's up? The Rosillo Show podcast. Great numbers uh, just came out again over the summer leading into the fall, and we are really well positioned, and I can't thank all you guys enough. We're going to have David Pollock from College Game Day just running through college ball after a few weeks. It still feels a little early to start getting all the soap opera drama stuff that I love with college football so much, but we're going to talk to Pollock about that and also almost 13 years of the day where he hurt his neck in his second season, the very beginning of his second season in the NFL and never played football again. I want to get to Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe even a little bit on this Jalen Ramsey stuff, but first I'm going to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a clown show. Their Steelers fans are terrific, actually. I like Steelers fans because for all the passionate fan bases that are out there, and there are many, uh, many are very delusional. And I think one of the great things about the national show is that I can kind of figure out who's the most delusional and who's the least delusional. And if you're super passionate and not delusional, that's a very rare combination. I'm sure you have a few Steelers fans somewhere in your life that you don't like and you think are outrageous and all that stuff. Guess what? Every group has somebody that brings the rest of the group down. But over the years of doing a national radio show, I respect Steelers fans a ton. I like them. They're smart. They're passionate, but they're supportive, but also realistic. I like Steelers fans, and I feel bad for Steelers fans because your entire squad right now, you know what, I shouldn't say entire squad, but apparently the most important people involved with your squad are the most self-absorbed people in the NFL. An entire clown show. You're not supposed to make this stuff personal, but I usually don't go to this depth, but I just can't stand it anymore. All right, let's start at the top. Mike Tomlin. The resume is really good, folks, okay? When you have a Super Bowl and you're over 500 in your playoff wins and, you know, you're, what, 116 and 60? I was looking at the numbers this morning. It's tough to argue with that. Um, he's been really, really good. Is he overrated? I don't know. I feel like people, in a way, talk about Tomlin as if he's so bad now that we don't really know. But here's the deal. Like, this is kind of on him. You have all of these voices over the years. We're going to get to all of this stuff here, and I'm going to go through it all. Notes, note taken rye last night, chili solo dinner. The game, the location may have changed, but the game has not changed. So, I went through so much Steelers stuff last night, I had to stop myself from screen grabbing and taking notes because they go, dude, this isn't, I'm not getting college credit for this one. It's just the beginning of the podcast. But if Tomlin is at the top, he is somewhat, because that's what happens, he is responsible for this locker room that is out of control with all these different personalities. Because the problem with this team is they are so talented, okay? And they're big three, and in football we do big threes if it's a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver for the most part. In basketball we do big threes if you have three really good players or if you've added a third new guy that offseason. So as soon as the Wizards said our big three is Wall, Beal, and Howard, that's when we should retire the big three forever. But in the NFL, for the Steelers, they have a quarterback in Roethlisberger who's never been solely the number one best quarterback in the league. We haven't talked about him that way, but we have talked about him being in that first tier. And then Brown, arguably the best receiver. There's a lot of arguments to make it that he's actually better than Beckham because he plays, and Julio Jones because he plays more. But guys sometimes like the size of the deferred Jones. That's not the conversation. And Le'Veon Bell, who I think we'd all sit here for the most part. Maybe it's girly, but Le'Veon, if he's not one, he's two and he's in that group. But all of these guys all have these these personalities that I think at this point, when you add it all together, individual instances, sure, fine, not a big deal. You know me, hey, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. But when you add all this stuff together, it wears on the franchise. And for whatever reason, Tomlin can't figure this stuff out. So I could, if I were going to do this, I could really go after Tomlin because I do think he does these things where it's he plays the character of tough football coach so well that he, again, and I've used this term before, hypnotizes us into believing, like, man, this guy's amazing. They have a bad loss. We're going to go back into the locker room. We're going to address it, Steeler football. We're going to figure this out. We're going to get to work. And we're a bunch of men, and we're going to do this thing. And and you're just like, man, this is amazing. This is awesome. He's so good at this. All right, so I think there are times where, like, this guy's incredible. But whatever it is, like, get get the house in order because they're not in order. So let's start with Big Ben. What do we know? We do know that he's terrific as a QB, right? I'm not saying he's Brady, Rodgers, or even Breeze, but we know that the pros for him – is if you have a one tier of quarterbacks and it's only Rodgers and Brady now, Roethlisberger is in that second one, despite some of the weird troubles he's had on the road the last couple of years. The cons. Now, there's a big one out there that I can go back almost 10 years, 
But I'm not even going to do that one because it's legal. I don't know what's fair about that. If I wanted to be a real jerk talk show host, I could use that in my argument, but I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use the cons that we actually do have. He exaggerates every single injury, okay? He once said he had a fever of like a billion and a half, which I don't think is possible. And everybody sort of bought it up until eventually everybody kind of started realizing, hey, you know what? Roethlisberger exaggerates all of his injuries. And that's kind of weird. I remember this kid who was kind of fat. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but we were all in grammar school. He was fat and he... Just nobody liked him, and he used to fake injuries all the time, so he'd always have some sort of medical equipment. None of us could ever figure it out. You know how weird it is when you're eight, nine, and it starts to dawn on you that somebody's kind of a social pariah? That's a weird feeling, because you shouldn't be that aware of your surroundings. But sometimes it's so obvious that even eight and nine, you're going to Craig going, dude, this kid kind of sucks, huh? So he had medical equipment around him all the time, but whether it was wrist guards, crutches that didn't seem to be needed he'd go to the nurse for a knee sleeve all the time and then you get older and you realize now okay he was fat there were weird things going on at home and you know what it kind of sucks for him and that's like a really bad life and maybe i should stop talking about all this stuff but yeah he had to reach out in some weird way to gain attention acceptance there was something some void in his life as even a little kid that he was aware of so he needed to go ahead and get a wrist guard to make himself feel better that day or maybe when he went home i mean i don't know what was going on with that kid that much i wasn't that close to him but you understand the point. And then if that kid became a pro quarterback, you think he'd get over some of this stuff. But Roethlisberger, for whatever reason, is still doing this stuff all the time. All right. He threatened to retire. Let's go back to 2017, Saruti, if we can go ahead and play that sound. Because he's been flirting with this retirement thing a little bit here and there to the point where I remember still doing the show going, hey, you know what? He's probably not going to retire, so I'm not going to do a whole segment on it. Here's Ben. I'm going to take this offseason to, to evaluate, um, to consider all options, to um, consider health and family and things like that and, and just kind of take some time away um, to, to evaluate um, next season, if there's going to be a next season, all those things. You know, you just, I think that's, at my, my point in my career and my age, I think that's the, the prudent and smart thing to do every year. Okay. All right. That by itself, and that's what, at the beginning of 17, Saruti? That was January of, of 2017. Okay, all right. So, yeah, you know what? Emotional season ended. Another playoff loss for the boys because they don't want to seem to adjust their defensive coverage on Brady whatsoever. Again, kind of a Tomlin thing there. And so what do they do? This past year, they draft Mason Rudolph. And then Roethlisberger says this. season was over. I felt really good. And plan was planning on coming back for, you know, three to five years. Exactly what I just told you guys. So I was surprised when they took a quarterback because I, I thought that maybe in the third round, you know, you can get some really good football players that can help this team now and, Nothing against Mason. I think he's a great football player. I don't know him personally, but I'm sure he's a great kid. I just don't know how, you know, backing up or being the, the third round, who knows where he's going to fall on the depth chart, but helps us win now. But, you know, that's not my decision to make. You know, that's on the coaches and the, the, the GM and all and those kind of things. So if they feel like he can help our team, so be it. But I was a little surprised. Then don't say you're going to retire. That's pretty simple. Why did you draft? Like, did you listen to the... Like, do you not remember the other thing you did? What was that, 93-7, the fan out in Pittsburgh? Yes. Okay, just want to make sure. All right, thanks to those guys. And then what, we have another cut of him talking about Rudolph? Will you feel any extra or added responsibility to take him under your wing? Do you think you'll have to do that? I, I don't think I'll need to. Now. He said that he doesn't need me. So if he asked me a question, I might have to just point to the playbook, you know? <laughs> <laughs> have you talked to him so, yet, Ben? Uh, I have not talked to him yet. I don't think they're in town yet. Um I think the, the biggest thing is I need to get myself prepared to play, right? I mean, that's first priority. I've in the past, I've helped Landry with stuff, I've helped Josh have questions. But the first priority is getting myself ready to play because I, as I know, I'm still the starter. So I need to get myself oh, ready geez. to go, oh, ready to you... play to win a championship. Uh, all right. He's like the guy that hears Belichick say we're on to Cincinnati, and then he says we're on to Jacksonville after a game, and then he's like, did you guys hear what I when I did the thing where I said we're on to Jacksonville? Wasn't that awesome? Showed how focused I was. He also, speaking of the Pats, remember the game, the Jesse James fumble thing that wasn't really a fumble and all that stuff, and you think like Steelers fans, like, no, we're actually better than the Pats. Well, don't lose to the Jags. But during that last drive that was all screwed up, Roethlisberger, after the game when he threw a pick, that sealed it for New England, said, well, I wanted to clock it, but the sideline overruled me. Well, guess what? You didn't have to throw it into the flat, or you could have thrown it out of the back of the end zone if you didn't like to throw it. Like, you didn't have – it wasn't clock it or throw an interception. And they were so unorganized on that last drive, you go back and look at it, there's – they didn't have two plays ready. Like, all of that wasn't on the sideline, and then he was done with with Todd Haley. All right, so there's one guy. Then you got Le'Veon Bell, who, again – 
the legal thing getting busted with weed, like to me, that's not the end of the world. The fact that he said when the cops asked him, like, what are you doing in 2014 when he got arrested? And he said, quote, I didn't know you could get a DUI for being high. I smoked two hours ago. I'm not high anymore. I'm perfectly fine. Why would I be getting high if I had to make it to my game? And the cops like make it to what game? And they go, well, we're on the Steelers and we have a game coming up. I'm not even mad about Le'Veon Bell necessarily doing that. I'm just more confused as, wait a minute, so I'm supposed to debate with a guy that didn't know you can't get super high and drive a car? And on top of that, the holdout stuff, okay? He hasn't been happy with his contract for like two years, Le'Veon. All right, that's fine. That's that's his money. That's his right to go ahead and do that stuff. Do business as business is done. But if he's going to hold out this year, but it's every single week we get to get the Schefter update, then just shut this down. Go, look, I'm preserving myself because I'm willing to give up the $10 million and still make five coming back week 11, having the season count and be a full free agent and trying to get $30 million guaranteed from somebody else. And look, I don't even know that I'd want to give any running back $15 million this year, which is what the tag is for Bell, but I guess I can kind of understand that. That's fine. Whatever. I wouldn't necessarily do it. I'm sure Bell thinks out on the market where the salary cap's gone up to 177, 178 million this year. And remember, 10 years ago, the salary cap was 116 million in the NFL and projections based on new TV stuff and stuff we talked about with Mort a couple weeks ago that this thing's going to go over 200 million. I could see Le'Veon Bell in some free agent world where a team's like our team's boring as hell and we're stupid. So let's give a running back like 17 million a year and let's give him 35 to 40 guaranteed because he's a free agent. And those are the numbers that Le'Veon Bell is calculating in his head where he goes, everyone can hate me. I miss out on 10 mil and make only five, but losing that 10, I will preserve myself and make even more in guaranteed money. Like I understand him doing all of those things, but you can't possibly think this is cool to do this every single week. Just say you're coming back week 11. Just go ahead and do it. I mean, I guess the team can't really do that. It would be awesome if they did, and I'm not even sure they're necessarily going to go ahead and need him. I'm probably more upset that he compared himself to Steph Curry and said that kids are changing the game uh, with the way I run, just like people did with Steph Curry. That was probably the thing that bothered me the most about him. And on top of everything else, like, you know, as, as good as he is, like, this isn't a new thing for him. I'm not even going to use Martavis Bryant, who, when he was out and suspended for another year, went on Instagram and got mad that somebody said Juju's the replacement. And he's like, Juju's nowhere as good as I am. And then Martavis tried to say that the Steelers didn't support him and that he had to do this all on his own when he had proven time and time again that he's not an accountable guy. But he felt totally comfortable going out on social media and sharing with everybody that Juju wasn't even close to being as good as he was, then followed up with a tag that was clearly written by somebody else speaking of social media now we get to antonio brown again maybe the best receiver in the nfl something like over 500 targets the last few years and he's only had seven drops that number is insane he's healthier than the other guys that we'd put in this tier and i'm not even going to get into all the personal stuff with antonio brown because you know some of this stuff is weird family how many kids do you have and look i'll just admit to you i think you guys know this that i'm not the biggest fan of a million kids by a million different women because i think it's just so unfair to kids and anybody that's had a challenging upbringing and look I don't even necessarily want to go down that road I don't even have to with Brown because all of the other stuff is okay you beat a team by 20 points you're mad you don't get enough touches um he did kind of a different contract thing if you go back to 2015 threatening to hold out threatening to hold out again didn't necessarily go ahead and do it and then he uses him not holding out when he was threatening to do the whole thing as an example for why Le'Veon Bell should come back and at least that's what he had said in the beginning, and now he says he supported him. Um, the Facebook thing was a joke because it was actually a Facebook sponsorship deal. And when people were asking me to do an interview, he said, I can't, I'm busy right now. I'm paying attention to coach. People were like, what are you talking about? And he sat there saying, call God. God is great. 40,000, 41,000 live views, 44,000 live views. God, 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 God. This piece by Jesse Washington kind of gets into the stuff that he's kind of a phony. I don't, you know, again, I'm not sure. And I'll, trust me, anybody that's like, the super God is amazing every five minutes. I always think that person's full of crap. Not to say that religious people, like, I'm psyched for religious people. That that makes them happy. Good for you. But if you're, like, super all about it constantly every day, like, I find the people that start every day with some Instagram emotional thing where it's supposed to inspire me, I always imagine those people are way more screwed up than I am. But Ryan Clark, 
This was surprising to me when he was on with us. This is back when it was the Rosillo show talking about Antonio Brown. And I'm, I'm at this point, like, can you argue with this Ryan Clark position? Antonio ha- has done an extremely good job of tricking people. Right. He, you know, he has that smile and, uh, when he talks, he seems, you know, extremely team and, oh, this is a great, team guy and he always shows up to play. He didn't hold out, you know, last year to get his money. So he he he's done a, a very good spin job of having us think or making people think who don't know him that like it's all about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm just a hard worker who's here to win football games. Nah, Antonio Brown loves Antonio Brown. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. And then it takes us to Monday, right? So there was a PR guy that worked for the Steelers. He's not with them anymore. Had said basically Antonio Brown, if he was on a different team, didn't have Ben. He wouldn't put up the same numbers. I would disagree with that. But the fact that it was somebody who used to work for the Steelers, and who knows? Maybe this guy's totally on it. Maybe he's aligned with Ryan Clark. Maybe he's sitting there saying, I want to expose Antonio Brown a little bit more, which is what this undefeated piece did by Jesse Washington, who, by the way, Bell threatened him and said he was going to crack his jaw, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. Next time see him, he deletes it and he's I'm out. Jesse Washington had to go to the Steelers and say something to them and I don't know how that all works out. I mean in a way I would be super mad even if I were the biggest jerk if somebody started trying to find out what was going on with all of my my children's moms like you know no one would go hey you know what I've actually been a duplicitous person I appreciate that this journalist is hitting up people in my family and women I've had sex with and I'm psyched that 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 this guy's reaching out and DMing these people and I'm not knocking the journalist but like I can understand being on the other side of that being like you know what I'm actually not that into this but here we have this this is a podcast tape in the middle of the week we have Antonio Brown who on a Monday on a Monday after another loss by the way where the Steelers put up a ton of points so this has really been especially when you look back at the playoffs the Steelers thing has been more about defense and it's even been these guys even though Levian's had some bad games in the playoffs but Brown tweets out trade me and see what happens to the former PR guy from the Steelers I don't know whose side to take in that one but then Brown doesn't show up to work okay and then Drew Rosenhaus who again he's the agent his client is Antonio Brown what is he going to say that'd be like asking your wife if her daughter we're the cutest kid in class. Like, it's just, there, there's no, like, the job by Rosenhaus is to sell something. But Rosenhaus says this is a non-story. Okay, but wait a minute. Your client's the one that has the history of being a malcontent. Your client is the one that tweeted at a reporter and threatened him, and then also tweeted at this guy, trade me and see what happens. And your client is the one that didn't show up to work on Monday. So he's the one that did all those things. So this is not the media being out to get him. In summation, my whole point about this Steelers thing is it's an incredibly talented group that I wanted to pick to go to the Super Bowl that I just can't because I think they're a mess. And they all, at least the stars, deserve each other because there are a lot of really good players on this team that don't cause any trouble that I think you saw their front, uh, this, this frustration from these guys from this locker room because of the way they were so outspoken in an unprecedented way about Le'Veon Bell's holdout. To have that many guys call out their teammate when it comes down to money should tell us something. Former players, forget me, former players that played in this league for a long, long time going, I've never heard teammates talk about another teammate's contract situation the way these dudes are talking about Le'Veon Bell. From afar, it feels like, there's a lot of guys in the Steelers locker room, like a lot of fans outside of it, that are sick of three guys, even as talented as they are. So, I don't know. I think that's about all the Steelers stuff you're going to get out of me this season. I, I feel like I've done too much of it. Saruti? Here's the thing that's interesting, too. I mean, their window has got to be pretty close to closing, right? Yeah. I mean, this might be their last best shot at winning a Super Bowl with this group, if Le'Veon even comes back. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't see how he's. Yeah, right. I mean, if he comes back, you mean coming back this season? Yeah, I mean, if he comes back week eleven, who knows? Like, what kind of shape? I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't be in good shape, but who who knows at that point? I mean, you're obviously two thirds of the way through a season, and then you got to make a. You know, who knows if they're even? I mean, they're probably going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I don't know how bad that defense is. Really bad. <laughs> how are other people back in Bristol handling this one, Rudy? I mean, people sound like they're kind of tired of this act, and we did this on Will Show. What I think it was Monday. Uh, just kind of like, where's Mike Tomlin's blame in this? I know you did a little bit on that. I, I mean, 
can anyone control this locker room? I mean, people said he's, you know, he doesn't have control, but can any coach come in there and control these three guys who, as you pointed out, like clearly are just about themselves? Yeah, that's the thing is that, like, and again, this is always really, um, dang, not dangerous. I mean, come on, this stuff is, you know, trying to ride a unicycle on a high wire is dangerous. Um, so I've heard, but I just, like, I hear so many people be like, get yours, do you. You know, make sure you take care of the man in the mirror first and all this stuff. And like, there's a level of that that's accurate. And then like anything, the line can be crossed where you go, do you care about anybody else? Hey, do you know how much fun it is? Like you do and I do and we didn't play in anything that matters, but you know how much fun, you know how much I would, I would kill to be a part of a team again. I would kill to be on a bus and get off the bus and be like, let's go in here and kick these guys ass. Let's do that. I want you to trust me. You know what's great about sports too is not liking somebody who's your teammate, but like knowing you both are really good at your sport and kind of trusting each other and then hugging it out and looking at each other and you're like, I still don't like you and I know you don't like me, but like we did it today and the anxiety of can you do this? And I know I'm sure once it's the money and it's the pros and the media attention and all that stuff, like any job, like the, if you actually have, you go, oh, actually it's not that great, but to miss, I miss competition so much that I do think that there's a line of, oh man, make sure you do you. And he's like, yeah, but like, is it only, I don't want to say, is it only about the money? Cause I know the answer to that's going to be like, yeah, kind of dude, kind of, but I just wouldn't want to let teammates down. I just, I just wouldn't. Yeah. I'd want my money. I want my money now. So I get that. But, uh, I mean, you're playing church league hoop leagues basically just to get that fix, right? Injuring yourself. Yeah, when I got, and it was another group's team, and then when it was a close game and I was on the bench, I, I was losing my mind. And I said to one of the guys, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to be on this team if you guys actually are going to close the five without me. I was like, I'm not, yeah, I was like, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm so, I, <laughs> I'm not going to come back next week. <laughs> like, are you, you seriously think I'm going to sit on the bench? But it was their team, <laughs> but I, I just, I was losing my mind. I was like, I can't. Maybe I'm a quitter. Maybe I just pull Levante Davis. Hey, if I'm not playing, I'm not coming back. Um, I had a whole Ryan Fitzpatrick thing. I think I'm going to save it because I don't think I need it right now. I think we're good. Um, the Jalen Ramsey thing's just nauseating because Jalen Ramsey's great. Gronk is great. This is what I tweeted out. We love Jalen Ramsey for calling everyone out because it's good for the media business. He loves the attention we give us, but he's, he's just doing the act. Like you guys understand he's doing the wrestler thing. But then when people in the media start saying like, Oh, he talked to talk and shot, you know, Gronk got shut down. He was on Gronk three times tops four. If you want to look at alignment and it was this other kid Gibson that was all over him that did a, was assigned to him more. So to sit there and give Jalen Ramsey the W, and I understand the Jags won. And by the way, Bortles looked awesome. We know the Jags' defense is stacked with players, but Bortles, if he, imagine if you hadn't really watched a ton of NFL football and you're like, hey, I'm going to check out this Jags Pats game, you know, AFC rematch. And you're like, oh, Bortles, this guy's like a top five dude, right? Like, nope, not exactly. He was incredible in that game and hack at the OC and all the stuff that they did with him. You know, maybe, maybe they have something here, but you know, I just, I think every quarterback opinion we have is that we just sit around waiting for the good game that proves us right or the bad game that proves us right. Because most of these quarterbacks for the, will have games like that. Like the next Matt Ryan nationally televised game, it better be a good one or everyone's going to think he sucks after the way the season opened up, even though they beat the Panthers. So I'm going to be able to save the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing because it's going to be relevant the next time around. Hey, you got Buck Steelers Monday night. That's right. That's why I'm going to do it. I'm going to... I'm going to wait to do it then, and then I also think maybe I'll be taping next Monday. So, you know, for everybody that's asking where the podcasts are at, they're almost always Tuesday, Wednesday. That's that's pretty much the deal here on the Rosilla Show. So keep the subscriptions coming. Keep those numbers up. And I'm still bummed how many people I run into that go, oh, I miss your show. And then I go, I have a podcast. I'm like, what? So help spread the word, and um, I can't. Like, I don't know. Saru and I are blown away. Like, the numbers that we just saw. Would you say that that's, it's been awesome to kind of see what's happened here in just eight months because I had to start this whole thing over again. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing is that we, you know, people don't even know where you're at or that you have this show and the fact that the numbers are as good as they are. Um, and now that, you know, you're going to be here at least for another year, like, let's get this thing going. Tell a friend. Okay. Before we do the rest of the show, now that we've got that done. 
First, a word from DraftKings. Okay, bragging rights, huge cash prizes are up for grabs this weekend and all season at DraftKings. All season long. They're the leader in one-week fantasy sports. How huge? Over $2 million in total prizes. With one-week fantasy at DraftKings, you choose when to play. Draft a new team every week with no season-long commitment. So here's the deal. You get beat up one week. You go, hey, you know what? I got to reset myself. I got to take a break from the game and then I need to get back in. That's where DraftKings can hook you up because you know some of your fantasy teams are already shot and it doesn't even matter. So DraftKings, you are the GM. Just choose your players, stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. You can play for free with your first deposit to compete for your share of over $2 million in total prizes. Here's the deal. Go to DraftKings.com, download the app, okay? You can download the app. It's right on your phone. Do it today. Use the code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, to enter a contest for free this weekend with your first deposit and compete for your share of over $2 million in total prizes. That's code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, only at DraftKings. The game inside the game. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Do we have any other stuff that you want to ask about instead of doing the Fitzpatrick thing? Um, I don't really have... I I think... Oh, you know what I wanted to tell you? Which... And I'm... I'll just share it with everybody here. Um, the writing stuff's going pretty good. And I know, you know, it doesn't... If I don't have anything really newsworthy or there's some stuff I can't say, which sounds cooler than it probably is, but I submitted some scripts for a, for a thing and I've had, <laughs> I, I just, so this is me sharing this on the podcast because I want Srudy's thoughts on it. But two different people said the exact same thing. One was a producer and one is a lit agent. And they both said, okay, these are good. These samples, you can do this. To the point where we think you can get a job. And I was already hired for this other project. And I just really liked the concept, the project. And I've, I finished the pilot for that, uh, already. And that's kind of ready to go for this presentation. I just can't get into the subject matter and all that stuff. Um, it's about the president. No, I'm kidding. And <laughs> the agent and this producer both said, here's the thing is I'd love to see you in a room, but I don't know that you're going to like it. I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, you know, the writer's room, be kind of the entry-level guy. They would, you know, maybe read your stuff and we can pitch it as like, you know, hire this guy as a, as a staff writer and it's 20-something weeks, so it's not, you know, it's not like 52 weeks and you're putting in for your two weeks vacation. You know, the money is, um, you know, money's always a weird thing to talk about because you may think, oh my gosh, that money's great. And I may go, well, actually, that's terrible for half the year. Um but, you know, it's just money is pretty much where you're at in life and what you're accustomed to, right? So uh, it wouldn't really be about the money for me. It'd be – I looked at it as, well, I would like the experience. Like even if, you know, the ultimate goal is to have your own thing that you write and sell it and all that stuff, and it doesn't happen for a lot of guys that are really successful. Um, they can go an entire career and that never happens for them. So I'm not going to just assume anything for myself. But I – you know, I was like, look, I'm kind of open to if it's a show that I, I like, if it's somebody that likes me, if we think that there's a good fit there, I think I would do it. I think I would take on a, you know, a, a season of writing for it. And they were like, really? And both guys said the same thing. They're like, really? You would do that? I was like, well, if I really want to do this, why wouldn't I want to see what that's like and sit and follow and, and watch like a showrunner who, and they both said, well, we're just afraid after listening to you on the radio for 10 something years. That if it was some guy that was kind of a jerk and was going to treat you like a punk, like your age, what you've accomplished as an out, and they both said as an alpha guy, we just <laughs> think you could be a really bad fit in that room and that you would hate it. And we wouldn't want to do that to you. Sarudia says. I mean, I think that's a hundred percent correct. Like, I don't think I, like you said, I don't think the money thing is a big deal, but I think you're not going to be treated like entry-level Rosillo, right? You're not going to be like some new guy who comes in and then gets hushed by some guy who may even be younger than you at this point. Who even knows? Like, obviously, if Adam McKay called you up and was like, hey, I want you to work on this project with me, you'd be like, no, you know, no doubt. But if you're in on a, if you're in on something, on a show, and like you have an idea and it gets shut down, I don't know. I'd buy <laughs> I'm not sure. I would want to see how you handled that situation. That's all I'll say. Okay, because, and, you know, full transparency, I was pretty much in charge of that room for as long as I was doing it. Even with Van Pelt, 
you know, a lot of that was me going, all right, this Scott, this is what I think we should do. And then Scott and I would kind of hash it out. And there were, I think, times at the beginning, Scott's like, who's this dude I wanted to have be my co-host telling me this is a stupid idea? And I would just go, yeah, that's stu- I don't want to do that. And I thought that was kind of me having more of a radio background than him and having better instincts with it. And sometimes I think you could just flat out say, no, Rosillo's being difficult, but I just... I never liked to waste any time. Like I wanted that meeting to be 45 minutes an hour tops. And then I wanted to prep for the show. I didn't want to be in there for two. And I, I remember we did a pre-show meeting once. It was like two and a half hours. And I was like, we need a meeting about today's meeting. Cause I yeah. can't do two and a half hour pre-show meetings. We can't have 20 people in there spitting out terrible ideas. Like I can't do that. So I'm sure you seeing that close up close and personal, probably more than any single person walking around ESPN would think that would be weird to see me now be in a room where I'm the least in control, but I would kind of like, dude, you really think like, let's just make a joke about any show is if, you know, you're on the Sopranos and David Chase is running you through and be like, Oh, really? We're just going to go to black. Ah, dude, are you sure? Dumb. Yeah. Dumb. <laughs> Cop out. I'm not the, the other thing. I'm not though, an insane person, man. The Come other on. thing I'm thinking of though, is you, you know, you have this rep right here, and it's uh, listen. We know each other pretty well, so I don't think it's true. But this rep that you know, you're like a little rough around the edges. Like you know, people don't really know how to approach you. And I always said, it's not. He just knows what he wants. Like he's very specific. Like there isn't much gray room. Like he'll listen to you if he respects you and or or he thinks you're smart. But like there isn't. You know, like you said, there's no chit chat. Like we don't want to. Like we, he doesn't want some guy. And that's why it was that's actually really funny because when I first started on the show, I feel like I was the guy who was spitting like these hot Alex Smith takes, and you somehow thought that that I wasn't an idiot, which is surprising because you could have probably just been like, "Who is this guy who's saying Alex Smith is underrated? Like get this guy off the show." And you ended up actually liking it. <laughs> no, because I that's liked, stunning. I liked what you. It's not see, but that's the other thing, and I think we're doing all of this too much. Is that we're deciding who's good or who's bad based on whether or not we agree with them. And I was doing that too much um, just in general. I'm not even talking about the show. I just think in life we're doing this. Be like, oh, you know who I really like is this person I agree with 100% of the time. Well, of course. Um, you know, Andy Benoit's one of my favorite NFL guys because I felt like when I was reading the SI previews, I go, oh, my gosh. This guy's writing everything I believe. This He's the best. He's the best football guy. Now, look, I think he's the best football guy because I know what kind of work he puts into it. And I don't mean, like, is he the number one NFL dude? He's a dude I trust a lot. He's a dude, at least if I disagree with his opinion, I know that it came from a place of him studying a ton of film. But we're doing it in life, and I think that room creatively should be full of people that see things differently and have different perspectives. And I know that despite how much the – the way this job has changed and, and I don't, I still don't really get it. Um, being a, a sports opinion person, how much it's changed into something else. There are things that I think about differently because I've been open to some different opinions and stuff, but you know, I still, I still think your podcast or your sports show should be about sports. Call me complicated. Radical. Um, yeah. So we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, but I found it. I just knew you were going to love that, that two completely different people that didn't know each other, we're basically saying, yeah, in L.A., dude, you're kind of like this kind of guy. And, you know, if you take this kind of job and, you know, you're in that room and the guy tells you you suck. Yeah. You're going to get big time. <laughs> like, you don't get big time, <laughs> I feel like, ever. <laughs> yeah, but that one, I mean, look, it's not like I'm getting married. It would, If it were a show that I loved and, and somebody that really liked me, and look, they'd have to like the writing and they'd have, and they basically were like this. We need to find somebody that's been listening to you the way we've been listening to you that actually is in this business that goes, oh, you know what? Like, I'd love, let me see if he can write. Okay, he can. Let's figure something out. Um, And I don't want to make this sound like, because I, I just thought this was interesting. And I, I was trying to keep people up to date. I, this is starting to feel like a LinkedIn profile, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> and up business cards. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, we got Pollock. So let's talk with David Pollock. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about bespoke post. Okay. Because you know, when you're constantly on the go, grinding away at work or out with your friends, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. So this is just clothes, folks. You're going to get those things that I don't ever, I just never know. Like some friends came over and they're like, you have nothing hanging. There's nothing on any of your 
furniture. I was like, well, that's why I called up Bespoke Post. I love getting hooked up with a box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month. These guys are out scouting for quality and unique products to send to me, and they send some stuff to Saruti. Now you can experience it too at boxofawesome.com. To get started, visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for the boxes that'll best go with your style. Whether you're in search of the perfect drink, a well-kept pad, or jet-setting in style, Bespoke Post improves your life one box at a time. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you receive an email with your box details. You'll have five days to change colors and sizes or add extra goods to your box. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. From barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. I picked up the weekender bag and the dop kit. I'm going to be on the road a lot more than I realized this year. I will be at LSU, Alabama. Uh, I'll be at Ohio State, Penn State coming up here soon. So hooking it up with the Nissan Heisman House people. Um, so I'm pumped. And Bespoke Post, make sure I'm going to look as good as I possibly can. I'm not saying I'm a 10. I'm saying in theory I feel that way about myself when my awesome bag shows up. So here's the deal. To receive 20% off your first subscription, go to boxofawesome.com. Enter the promo code Rosillo. It's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com. Code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O for 20% off of your first box. Bespoke post, themed boxes for guys that give a damn. Has anything surprised you about the start of the season so far, Paul? Um, I think it's, it's already clear that there's, you know, a couple teams that are competitive for a championship I, I just i wouldn't be i would be thoroughly surprised if anybody really crashed the party when i say that you know georgia alabama clemson ohio state penn state i mean i, I wouldn't be surprised if those are your four with some in some capacity and i would be more surprised if what if uh if, it, if somebody else crashed the party and it wasn't one of those four so i think there's clear clear separation uh at the top between the most talented teams in the country and everybody else Okay, so that actually, none of that surprised me until you mentioned Penn State and didn't mention a couple other SEC schools like LSU or, say, Auburn. Yeah, I just, I, I, offensively, I don't trust them enough to put them in that conversation. I think defensively, Both they're really good. Both teams, neither one. I mean, listen, Joe Burrow had some good moments, and, you know, as he continues to grow, if he continues to get better, I think we change that narrative. But offensive line is very average for LSU. Offensive line for Auburn is extremely average. Um, when I, when I look at Georgia's offensive line and Clemson's offensive line, very, less question marks. Alabama, obviously, less question marks. Penn State, I think the, the the combination of Miles Sanders, who is, you know, listen, he's not Saquon, but he's still one of the better backs in the country. And K.J. Hamler is one of the best playmakers in the country, whether it's a scoring on a reverse or a kick return or, or catching balls deep. He's, he's dynamic. So I think all those offenses are going to pack enough punch and, I think defensively, there's there's no huge liabilities in most of them. Aside from aside from Penn State, I don't think their defense is, is upper echelon, but I think their offense might be good enough to carry him further. All right, before, I'm going to touch on Oklahoma here in a second because I think I should have mentioned them with the other two teams. Yeah, that's I agree true. with you. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on LSU. They very easily that felt like an old school Les Miles win where you go, wait a minute, they're going to win this football game here at Auburn, and yeah. I still don't know if I trust the offense enough. Um, so I'm there with you on the Tigers. As far as Auburn's concerned, I think it's the O-line, but I think Stidham is is very much series to series. And I wanted to see more. I wanted to see him be a little bit more consistent. There are moments with him we understand because of going back to Baylor, how excited you are. You get this transfer. He's yep. big. He's physical. He's got the arm. He's he's wildly inconsistent. He just is. First, hello, can, I, can, I, can I answer that question, too? I'll, here's Here's something about that statement I think that everybody needs to know. First of all, he's a first-round draft pick in the NFL, and he'll be a lot better pro than he is a college player. It's not him, it's the system. The system is not – it's not a quarterback-friendly system. It, it, there's no intermediate routes in the route tree. Dude, it's so easy to play DB or defense against that offense, especially when they don't have the offensive line to maul you like they've had in the past. You know if it's going deep or it's a short route. So if the guy keeps running, you're keeping running with him. It's very simple. There's, there's no – Listen, he does the best he can. That system needs to continue to evolve and become better. It's it's not it's not maximizing Jared Stidham's capability. That that's what I see when I watch Stidham and, and Auburn Dolphins. 
All right. I love that. I love the nerd stuff on the route deals because it feels like that's something you guys notice that, that the rest of us don't always notice. And when you see that, and it seems to be a problem because I think we're on the same page about Stidham, but you're blaming the system more than just his ability as a quarterback. Like, how can you not adjust that? Or is Malzahn saying, hey, look, I love the way we run it. Like, when Auburn gets it going on the ground, I love it. I think it's it's scary. Oh, yeah. But it, it, why? It, it, that's what they want to do. What's, go ahead. And that's what they want to do. That's what Gus wants to do. And, and he continues to want to be that team. And listen, last year in the beginning of the season, remember, we were having the same conversation because the offensive line was a work in progress. And they were breaking them in. And by the end of the year, you know, they were experienced. Because the, the, the best guy coming back had six starts this year. I mean, yeah. they, they just don't have experience. So they're going to get that part of it down. But the offense is, if he ever learned more passing concepts, or not learn more, if he ever integrated more passing concepts, Stidham, he makes a couple of throws a game that I just go, wow. Here's the thing to watch too, Ryan. Watch the scramble drill when, when Stidham scrambles for his life because he has to do it a lot. Receivers don't even understand that part of the drill. They don't understand how to come back to the quarterback. you got guys just posting up, standing out there, or continuing to run deep. You've seen it for years with Ben Roethlisberger and all these guys. Receivers come back to the football, make your quarterback look good. And they don't get that component of it either. They're going to play elite defense, and, and their defense is going to be great, but I mean, how much does the offense, fast tempo, yeah, how much do they give them breaks and, and allow a score some points? Because they have to do it, and they have a quarterback to do it. Their system's got to change a little bit. I guess I just look back to last year where, you know, it was a 14-6 game against Clemson, and everybody, and this is two years in a row, maybe longer here, where Auburn's defense, I just think it's stacked. Like, I would put them Dirty. up talent-wise with everybody else. And so I still think they can win whatever game they have on the schedule but I feel like the O-line takes the brunt of it with Stidham, where I felt like Stidham started hearing voices in that Clemson game. And that's probably what happens when, well, you get hit as many times as he did. But, yeah. uh, no, you're pointing out something really good there, and you're also pointing out what we know about coaches, that Gus has a system and then he's not going to change that. He's not going to change that all the time. But I think we are on the same page there with Stidham, where I go, like, I want to see 60 minutes from you where yeah. it looks like you're totally in sync with everything, and I haven't seen that from him as much as we'd expect for a guy with his prospects and all the fanfare. No doubt. Um, no doubt about it. Okay, all right. So we, we touched on the LSU thing there, so I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm still worried that there's going to be like this Alabama you know, 21 nothing game coming down the road. And for all the love with Coach O and his 4-2 and two record now against top 10 teams, I'm just not sure yet. But we should say in that first group with Oklahoma, like you have the Sooners there with Murray. Like if they're in the playoff, that's not a surprise to you, correct? No, it's not a huge surprise. Now, listen, I, I would have told you this. After watching the first two weeks, I was like, okay, I think this defense is better. And then after watching last week, I'm like, uh-oh, same old Oklahoma defense. And that's that's pause for concern. And it's not the it's not the discipline aspect of it, Ryan. It's the tackling aspect of it. A lot of that crap is want to, man. A lot of that crap is I'm just going to find a way to get my guy to the ground, and it's just it's not pretty. And then you saw you know Baker running wild for Iowa State after he makes catches, and I just don't I don't think they're good enough defensively. Now listen, Kyler Murray is going to be a headache, and he's going to be very similar to, to Baker Mayfield a year ago, where he's going to he's going to put up a lot of points. I think we underestimate. Not we, but the, the people underestimate Lincoln Riley. He's one of the best at what he does. He is the best. Now, I, if you're asking me to take a play call in college football, there's no doubt about it. I would take Lincoln Riley number one. And it's not just the it's not just the the passing attack. It's all the stuff they give you. They they give you so many false reads and false keys, and they run the counter game and the, the RPO game. And then and now you put a guy back there. I'm not saying this offense is better because I don't think it's better than it was a year ago. But I think it might be harder to stop because now you add in Kyler Murray, who, Ryan, we can play touch football in an elevator with him and lose. I mean, the dude's just <laughs> he's so daggum quick, man. I mean, he can he's going to be able to make people miss now and take off and give you 60. And so uh, you're right, and I, I apologize to Oklahoma because they should be in that mix as the next team in the upper echelon that their offense is so dominant again that they're going to be in the conversation to, uh, to be in the college football playoff and have a shot. Right. Yeah. Look, we're covering our bases here and, and there's no, there's no surprise here, but I think there's some developing things over the years and, and I'm just going to take it for a second and then you just go wherever you want. But there's certain things that just surprise me. Like how can, how can Oklahoma, and I know big 12 fans gets really sensitive about it, but it's just true. Like there's certain Saturdays I watch and go, why can't anyone tackle? 
Like, what's yeah. going on? And then somebody will say, oh, no, it's only because of the offense. So a lot of people are spreading it out and running sick athletes all over the place. And, like, credit to King uh, Cliff Kingsbury and what he does with Tech and another unknown quarterback here and putting up sick numbers. But, like, why can't why can't Florida State for two years block? Like, how can they yeah. not, even if they're not recruiting the best, like, every, oh, Jimbo mailed it in. You're Florida State. Your third options at offensive line should be good enough to block Syracuse. And, like, yep. you know, I'll look at a team like Florida. Like, who's the last, oh, my God, how do we game plan for this offensive weapon in Gainesville? Is it Callaway? I mean, I'm serious. Like, how do they go? Yeah. Every year the Gators had a dude where you go, like, this guy's going to suck to deal with. So I just, I, it's just weird to me how there are these teams that always seem to have some of the same problems, and they're considered among the tier one programs in college football. Well, and, and, and I think it's interesting with Oklahoma is, you know, I, can that change ever happen anyways? If, if you felt like Stoops needed to be changed at defensive coordinator, does that change happen now with his brother as the AD? You know, like that's a that's a sticky spot regardless, isn't it? I mean, that, that would be a tough thing to do. But it, it is frustrating to watch. Now, listen, I know we practice tackling less and less, and that's part of it, man. That's part of the deal. We, we're not going to do it as much. And here's the thing. When is the last defensive lineman from the Big 12 that you just feared? When's the last big hog molly up front? There are two or three or four of those guys that are just wrecking game plans. Because the bottom line is, yeah, when you spread things out, it, all it does, Ryan, is put more emphasis on the middle. The more we spread, the more it puts emphasis on can you block guys, can you win in space. If you, if it doesn't matter if you have numbers. If your five can't block, therefore you win. Alabama does that all the time. Auburn does that all the time. Can those guys win that have won up front in the Big 12? Who are the guys you're scared of? when you, I mean, you you turn on the tape, it's a whole other level watching those guys than watching guys in the SEC, in the, at Clemson, obviously. And, and Florida State's had a bunch over the years. And that's, that's the difference. The difference is those guys that can take those – it's not just reading the option read. It's that guy coming off the edge so fast that you don't have time to make that read sometimes. You want to run the midline and read the three technique? That three technique who's, you know, Derek, Derek Brown, who's 340, also gets in there in, you know, in a second and makes you rush your decision. So, yeah, we continue to see those things develop. But it's, it's by far, to me, the, the trenches are the ones that win those battles. Okay, Washington, uh, I love the secondary you know, Utah, I wouldn't exactly say their quarterback scares the hell out of you um, if, you, if you watched that one late last Saturday. Yeah. But I know everybody that came back. I know their NFL prospects and all that stuff. You haven't mentioned them yet. I feel like some people feel like Browning isn't even the same guy that he was two years ago. But other than Stanford, especially from what we've seen from USC the last couple of weeks, and we'll see what happens yeah. with Oregon this weekend, but I don't think you can rule them out just because of how much I like their defense. And I like their prospects in that conference. Yeah, I, I don't think you can. Um, I, I don't think we're and, – and, and listen, they got their shots to earn it. I mean, Stanford's schedule is brutal when it starts, you know, this week. Um, and we, we have a comparison. I think all going to be the, you know, what, third or fourth best team in the SEC. You're going to have Bama, you're going to have Georgia, you're going to have LSU. Um and, and 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 if you look at Auburn, they've already beat the best team probably in the Pac-12, or maybe the second best team if it's Stanford. But Browning to me is the guy. I mean, you watch the Auburn game, third and fourth down, you need a play. I, he doesn't. He. I don't think. I don't trust him to do it. I haven't seen him do it enough. And I think they're average on the perimeter. I don't. I think outside of Gaskin, who puts fear in you from a speed standpoint? You know, I think the offensive line is average. And, and now. If you put couple of that all together, I think that the, you're right about the defense. I think they're exceptionally sound, exceptionally disciplined. Um, the secondary is one of the better secondaries I think in the country. They do everything the right way. They just don't have the dudes. And when you look at how they're going against Alabama and they're going against some of these other teams that we talked about with Ohio State, they're littered with dudes. They got guys that can just whip your hiney and win win matchups. And 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 I don't see. I mean, Judy is a freak show for Alabama. We don't even talk about him. You know, look we at don't. the weapons at Ohio. Look at the weapons at Ohio State. They have weapons on the perimeter. They got two backs now. that Weber's healthy. J.K. Dobbins is special. Um, you know, you know, you got two who's special. Damian Harris, Nicole Hardman is one of the best players in college football. If nobody's watching him from Georgia, number four. Every time he touches it, it's like he he owns the turbo button in whatever console you play with. I mean, he literally plays at a different speed than everybody else. You got Swift. I mean. 
You got uh, you know Sanders at Penn State. You got Hamler on the outside. Who, who's the guy at Washington? Who's the guy at Stanford that scares you? Arsenal Whiteside is a really good player. Well, you got I mean, body. love. Like you have to mention love. I mean, obviously, love. He scares yeah, you. when he's there. I mean, are you going to depend on love to be there a whole year healthy? You know, I mean, that's you got to start to have doubts about that. Last year, he missed the Oregon State game, limped through the rest of the season. He's already missed the game now, and you know, the offense was horrible last week against UC Davis running the football. They, that's that's the, one of the most puzzling things to me is you bring all these all conference guys back and all this big beef, and love comes out the gate struggling like crazy. That that to me has been. Surprise! Listen to me, Ryan. Don't tell me running on uh, they ran on USC. Everybody can run on USC. USC can't stop a nosebleed running the football. I mean, it's bad. What do you think USC's biggest problem is then? I mean, obviously, it sounds like it's the defense, but do you think like Helton is because me being out here now, like everyone's convinced they're terrible? And I look, I was on the sidelines for the Texas USC game. And I felt like I was the only guy going, you know, JT Daniels isn't the problem. That's not what I saw at all. Um, yeah. I mean, he's a freshman quarterback. He's on the road. There are times where I was actually impressed with him. The game got like really ugly, really quick where nothing went right. Punts out of bounds, a screwed up turnover and the pick. Um, but you know, people feel like this is an entire reset button here thing with the Trojans. And, and I think that's just, that's after two weeks. That's after two weeks. It's a reset button where, because opposed to where people were with the start of JT in the season, uh, when well, they beat a non power five team. I'll say this for Helden haters. At what point do you come out the gates fast? Because it is starting to be a trend, isn't it? I mean, we've seen this the last couple of years where it's been notorious slow starts and then you kick it in gear and you look like one of the better teams in the country. But, you can't Texas Texas run defense is not very good. You ran for negative five yards last week, Ryan. We could have got five yards. I mean, to me, you have an upfront problem. You have a physicality problem when you can't stop Ellinger, who can barely throw the football. He's still working to be able to throw the football down the field, and you can't stop him from running the football. And you can't run the football yourself. You have a physicality problem. You have a man problem. You have a toughness problem, and that. Listen, Clay Helen's one of the best dudes in the sport, and he is great for our sport. But I can watch them on tape and, and say 100%, they need to be more physical. They need to play with more vitriol. They need to play with more hate in their heart. You know, they need to come off the ball and want to hit people in the mouth. And until they change that, I, I think Nancy Daniels is a stud. I think he's going to be a star. Amara is a freak show. He's just the next in line at receiver, and JT's the next in line at quarterback. But – you need better blocking up front. You need better play on the, on the D line. You need to you need to be more physical if, if you want USC to turn back into USC. You're right about they they can't run the football. I mean, they had to abandon it. And they think you know you have a, a freshman receiver running around throwing to his buddy because it's the only guy that he trusts. Um, but you know we, we all know how it works out with the quarterback. But when I left, I there were things about JT that I did really like. Like I like that. There are quarterbacks, well, I'll put it this way, is that there are quarterbacks that I watch in college where they're so afraid of turning the football over that, you know, there's a level of, hey, I'm good with the football, I make good decisions, I protect the football, okay, I'm so protective of it, I'm never even pushing the ball down the field. Like, I never want to try to fit it into a tight window, and JT doesn't, he doesn't care. Like, he'll, he'll throw some contested throws, and I don't look at it as him being wild and, and not understanding the situation. I, I think it's this thing where I, I just like some of the throw, and again, maybe it's just me in person seeing it, where I go, okay, that's a throw that I don't expect to see from a freshman, and I see guys on Saturday that have been around four years that don't make that throw because they just don't want to pick in the box score. No, absolutely, he doesn't have that in him, and he he's accurate. He can throw the ball, you know, on time. He listen, you know, one thing I can really tell by watching him, I can tell this isn't the offense he ran in high school. And, and I say that because I can tell by his footwork. You watch his footwork when he's in the pistol, and you watch some of the stuff he does in the play-action game and the run game. Like, it's not a, incredibly comfortable for him, and sometimes his steps aren't as crisp as you like. But you want a dude that can put the ball where you need it to be put, and a guy that you can tell in the future is going to be really, really good, I'll, I'll bet on him in a heartbeat. I mean, he's, okay. he's got it. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so I love the Auburn route concept that you told us all right so deep or in the flats nothing in the middle and that can really screw up a quarterback because i love when i get you know kind of the coach's film and then you see that the third route is run behind the first two reads it's just i don't know it sounds like it's common sense but you go that must be a great system because when you're going okay one two's not there where's three all right he's trailing this play as opposed to being in the entire opposite end of the field and then me taking longer to set myself and make that read okay so like that's 
that's me as a non football like educated guy seeing these things and going, okay, that's really good. So that's why I love your Auburn thing. When I was with Stanford Steve in that Texas USC game, he was pointing out, and I thought this was really good. Then I started paying attention to it. So it's one of those things like I'll look for Auburn's routes now, as you pointed out, but that USC doesn't actually do anybody any favors and their running game on top of being a mess is that like part of it, you love the idea that USC runs such deep routes because so many schools don't, but because they run like it's 20 yards and then the ball is out on almost all of these these passing plays. And like sometimes you're just going to make it easier on pass pro instead of trying to hold up the entire time, even if you don't respect the front for Texas, where I think it's I, I think I like Texas linebackers, but like what do you think of that? Where it's it's actually rare in college to see what Helton does there where he runs his guys so deep in the routes. Well, I mean I, I think they're they're kind of figuring out what they have as well because you know, if you watch JT, you know, week one, you watch JT against Stanford, um, and then you watch it versus Texas, I think it has changed and they're continuing to change. But when he when he runs the RPO game, sometimes he doesn't make the best read in the world, but also he'll get away with it with his arm. And he'll get away with nasty ball placement. So I don't, I, I don't think – I will agree. I don't think they completely know who they are yet. But I think the offense has a chance to be really good just because of what you said a little while ago was – He's got his high school buddy that he feels comfortable with. And you can tell there's a here, – here's what JT does best. JT does best throwing timing routes. JT is accurate. JT knows when to get rid of the football and throw it before a break. And that kind of stuff, you have to get on the same page with your wide receiver and understand how fast they run, how they cut, how they break. And obviously with Amarot, he, he knows that because he's played with it for so long. I think that's why the chemistry is so great. So I think – that's something that will develop, and I think they want to be an offense that makes big plays and takes big shots. And you know, they, they do a good job, I think, mixing in RPOs and keeping short. But they definitely need to find ways to manufacture that front, whether it be screen game, whether it be draws, whether it be something different. They, they can't absolutely one hundred percent can't line up and dot your eye and just say we're running the football and, and you stop it because they're not that good. All right, I did more on USC than I expected to do. So, um, but I, I think we we definitely answered it thoroughly. So there's there's no harm in that. All right, so we still have a few more weeks. I think we hit on everything at the top there. I did want to ask you about this because you were tweeting about it, and it's always funny when Twitter can be really positive, and um, it's always nice to be reminded. I think there's actually more great people out there, and it's a silent majority as opposed to the uh, louder minority. But this is what almost 13 years to the day when your NFL career ended, correct? Yes, sir. Um, do you want to talk about that at all, or because I don't know, if, I don't know that I've ever interviewed you about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I tweeted out the, the other day. I think it was a couple of days ago when it was the anniversary, and it was just I literally lost everything. Because when I was a six year old kid, man, I told everybody that would listen, I'm gonna play in the NFL. I'm gonna play in the NFL, and I got all those pats on the back, Ryan, those little cheesy smiles, and those you ain't gonna do that. You, there's no way you can do that. And then you know, I reached my dream, and I reached the the pinnacle of what I wanted to reach in, in one hit against the Browns, you know, September 17th, it was, it was over. And, you know, I ended up being in a halo brace for a couple of years and a long rehab. And, you know, I just, it, it's, always, it's always a great reminder of like, you never know what God has for you. You don't, you don't know what's coming next. And always, always find a way to keep your head down, keep working. And you never know what God's going to bring, bring down the road. And, Adversity is something that's going to hit all of us. We all, the older we get, Ryan, we know it. It's coming. Like, you're going to have terrible moments and terrible things are going to happen. But how you respond is more important. It's always a fun moment every year for me to be reminded of where I was, how I was feeling, and then where I'm at now because it's just a process of putting your head down, continuing to work, and you don't know, you never know what's coming. Just keep working hard. Right. Your first round pick, all American, what, three times at Georgia. I mean, I remember reading about you when I just was, I'm only a few years older than you, but just going, Oh man, this guy's nasty. You know, the cover sports illustrated and all this stuff. And then I just, without knowing you, I felt terrible because it's what the second game of your second season. So at that moment, I mean, you were in the halo for, you said two years. I was in a halo for four months, a neck brace for six months and then I had surgery and then I was in a uh, neck brace for another six months after that. And then I started to be able to recover. Good story, Ryan. When I got out of my neck brace, this is, this is the crazy, one of the craziest things. That ever happened. I got out of my neck brace. I got cleared. 
My wife cooked some uh, pasta. I was excited. Literally, go to the go to the table, have my neck brace off. I'm excited to eat for the first time. I lean over Ryan, and my face goes boom right in my spaghetti plate. Literally, face first in the spaghetti plate. My muscles were so weak in my neck, it couldn't even hold my head up. And so you're talking about like you know squatted 750 pounds and, and benched. 455, and literally, I remember going to the weight room, and I benched 135, Ryan, twice. I benched 135 twice, and I was shaking uncontrollably. So you talk about, like, hitting the reset button and starting over in life and all these things that you were able to do. I would go play racquetball, and I'd swing and miss like crazy because I thought my mind was there, and it wasn't there. And so it was definitely it was, it was crazy, the difference of um, where you go from and where you go. And then, and then it's just like anything else, man. Keep working, keep working hard, keep grinding, and it slowly starts to come back. And uh, and it didn't know, but yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a long process, but it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. Now, when you look back on it, something that helped me get me where I'm at now. Yeah, I mean, everything ends up working out, and I think that's a real tribute to you and your personality and the way you look at things. I mean, I wouldn't say we're super close, but I've been on the road with you enough where I think you know I'm like, man, I kind of like where this guy's head's at. Yeah, just. You know, you're a competitor, you're you're very positive, but if you go back to that actual hit prior to the rehab and all that stuff, like, what's going through your head when, you know, I don't know, was could you not feel anything? Did you think, oh my, did you know right away, like, this is it, or like, I'm never playing? Like, how how scary was that whole thing once the play is over? Well, anybody who's played football knows when you get a big hit, you have, uh, you get stingers, and it's just basically like a shooting pain down your your neck and your shoulders, and they happen more than more than you'd like. Um, so you kind of get used to them. So I thought for me it was it was a stinger. But when I was on the ground and, and I started to feel my arms and I couldn't feel them, it's kind of like when you're you're asleep and you fall asleep on your arms and then you wake up and you can't move them. They're they're yours, but you can't move them, and, that, and that's what it felt like. And so for me, it was really scary for a little bit because I was like, wait a minute, why can't I move my arms? Why can't I have you know, full range of motion, what's going on with him. When I went underneath the, the, the locker room, they, they did x-rays right there, and he comes out and he's like, you got a, you know, you got a fractured C6. And I was like, cool, what's that mean, a couple of weeks? And he's like, no, that means you broke your neck. And I was like, ooh, that sounds way worse. Can we stick to saying fractured C6? Um, so I kind of knew, knew then, but it was just, it was a freak hit. It was a, it was a strange hit. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the hardest hit I've ever taken by any taken by any imagination. But it just had to be the perfect lick, I guess, at the perfect angle. And I knew something was up after I couldn't move my arms for a while. But um, it didn't feel, you know, a bigger than any collision I've had. It just, I guess, it was just a perfect spot. Well, I'm really happy for you because I'm sure in that moment you're like, "What's going to happen now?" And you have turned. Um, you know, a tragedy, but a game you love having that next chapter and, and it being as good as you are. I just love how straightforward you are about your whole analysis of all of the stuff. And I enjoy watching you on Saturdays, man. So thanks a lot for uh, spending a few minutes with us. All right. Always great to be on with you again, man. That's David Pollock, part of college game day. So yeah, out on the road for Austin. I'm going to be at Ohio State Penn State coming up, Nissan Heisman house. So if you're going to be in the area, please come by, check it out, I'll do pictures with you. Some dudes um, got really excited in Austin, so that was cool. I'm Vince Young, Ricky Williams, slightly bigger deal than me in Texas, but uh, I appreciate the guys that were coming out to check us out. All right, so that'll do it for us. I definitely went off on the Steelers, but I think you understand where I'm coming from on that one. We'll talk to you next week.